What's it actually like to live in a converted school bus with three small children while you're saving money to build a house? Welcome to the Radical Personal Finance Podcast for today, Friday, October the 10th, 2014. My name is Joshua Sheets, and I'm your host. Today, contrary to what I said yesterday, I'm not going to be bringing you a show on education, but rather bringing you a show, which is an interview with Sarah and Noah, who are currently living in a converted bus with their three children, while they try to figure out how to build their new house out in California. fun adventure, so to speak. The show today, I think you're really going to enjoy it because it's going to be a little bit different than many of the shows that I have uh, played previously. Now, let me be specific and give you a quick, uh, quick note of introduction here. Today's show is very chatty, and it's more of kind of two new friends getting to know each other over a Skype connection on a late-at-night telephone call. So it's very chatty, and it's not specifically point, 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 point on here's what you should do, here's what you should do, here's what you should do. If that's going to annoy you, uh, flip forward or flip backwards to another show and uh, don't bother with this. But I think that you may, st- many of you will still enjoy this kind of show. It's a little bit different. Uh, and you'll benefit, I think, from knowing a little bit on the background. So I've been interested for years in bus conversions, and I've always watched online at different people converting buses, school buses to live in and people living in RVs. I think it's a pretty cool financial strategy for some people. So I was Googling around and found a, a, a website called Little Bus on the Prairie and was impressed that there was this family of, of uh, mother and father, and so a family of five, and three small children that was living in a bus, and shot off an email and set up an interview. Now, it was actually... I'd arranged the interview, I think, probably about a month before I actually did it. And uh, and so there was a lot of time that had passed. And usually, generally, oftentimes, you know, I'm very much a person who's expecting someone to say, hey, this is great. We're loving our alternative lifestyle. You know, we love living off grid and doing this, you know, whatever this thing is. That's how my mind works. But I recognize that's not reality. And what happened was a fascinating peek into what it's actually like sometimes to scrimp and save. And sometimes the radical side is maybe really challenging. It's not so necessarily so easy. So I think it's this, this story is going to be a very interesting story, which you may enjoy. And in speaking with Sarah and Noah, they had just come off of three days with triple-digit temperatures with them being on a bus with three small children. And that is a challenge. And Sarah is, is very pregnant uh, with a baby expected uh, soon. I think it's a month or two, something like that. And so... It was neat to kind of capture some of that emotion, but it wasn't what I was necessarily expecting in the interview. The other thing that's interesting about this interview is that Sarah and Noah are an everyday normal couple just simply trying to work their dreams. In fact, as we were emailing before the interview, they were very clear and kind of a little bit surprised that I had reached out to them and saying, you know, we're not millionaires. We don't, we're just trying to kind of figure things out. So instead of today bringing you uh, an expert on something, rather we bring you a conversation between a couple of people who are just working to figure things out. And I think you will, I think you'll enjoy that. And so the first part of this 
uh, interview. The interview is about 54, just under 54 minutes long. The first part of the interview is talking about the bus living, the story of how they wound up in a bus. The middle part is talking a little bit about what it's been like as far as them trying to figure out how to build a house, how to build a house that would be affordable, that would work and actually work for their family in the location that they have. And they're having some real challenges in making that happen. You can read on their blog some more details about the challenges that they're having. And then kind of the final third is a little bit on education uh, as far as I noticed that they were educating their kids and I was interested in why uh, because that's a, a subject of interest to me. And I think it's also a subject that has a lot of applicability to personal finance. Uh, it was made, I had a comment on the blog uh, from yesterday's show that seemed to indicate that uh, maybe the connection between education and personal finance was not exactly clear. And I, this show is absolutely dedicated to personal finance. We're not going to spend all our time on education, but I think it is actually an incredibly important aspect of personal finance. And on the next show, I will bring out some of the details as to why I think the connection is so strong and why I think it really matters. Uh, But I won't do that anymore for today. So enjoy today's episode. Enjoy listening and hearing from Sarah and Noah. And I think it is a much needed refresher to (laughs) a lot of times the world that I live in about everything is great about living a radical lifestyle. (laughs) Sometimes living in a bus is not so fun. And sometimes you're really, really ready to be in the house. Enjoy the interview. So Sarah and Noah, welcome to the Radical Personal Finance Podcast. I appreciate you making time to uh, chat with me tonight. Sure. Yeah, it's good to be here. <laughs> so I've been looking forward to talking with you, and I am interested in just simply having a conversation and hearing a little bit about your story. Uh, the way that I found you is that I was out you know, browsing around on the interwebs one day, and I was looking for... I've always been interested in bus conversions. I always thought it was cool when the people would buy these old school buses and convert them into an RV as like a, a, a cheap RV. I'm not sure if you guys... Uh, I mean, I would imagine you probably have seen a lot of that, but I've always been fascinated by people who've done that and just some of the craftsmanship. And then I was looking, I was wondering if anyone was living on a bus, and that was how I came across your website called Little Bus on the Prairie. Uh, So what I would love to do is share with me just a little bit, what's your background and how did you wind up living in a bus? Um, Well, the bus itself is a uh, 1970 international uh, school bus, and uh, we found it on Craigslist. Uh, it was already converted; it had already had the second story added on, and we found it on Craigslist for, um, if you can believe it, only a thousand dollars. Wow! <laughs> yeah, and uh, we had already purchased an RV that we were planning on living um, out here in, and my husband sent the Craigslist listing to me as as a joke. <laughs> totally joking. Never. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yes, <laughs> let's do that instead. Um, How much were you going to spend on the RV? Well, we had already purchased an RV for, I think it was 22000 or 2500 Yeah. Yeah, something like that. And um, and it's... We still have the RV, too. And <laughs> we, just, we just never use it. <laughs> it's kind of like Ishmael. It wasn't the chosen vehicle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So that seems odd to me. So you you have them both. What? Why did the bus win? Why, how did you end up with the bus? Uh, the bus it had a lot more space, uh, for one thing. 
because uh, it does have the upper story with the with the upper living space. And um, and she couldn't have a blog called Little Bus on the Prairie with an idea. Exciting about that story. <laughs> I never would have found you, right? If it was just if it were just a little RV on the prairie, I never would have found you in my searching. <laughs> and we have, and just me personally, we uh, my family, my dad actually, since I was little, has had several uh, buses that he's actually converted himself. And really. So a bit of a bus affinity, I suppose. So you know all about that. I've only, I've never seen one in person. I've only just read them. Read. I mean, I've looked at people's uh, photos of them on the internet. But so you've got quite a history in the bus conversion space. Yeah, I used. To, I remember you know helping my dad when I was little, going out and drilling cabinets and stuff. You know. <laughs> wow. But yeah, you've done that for for ever. It seems like an incredibly massive amount of work, frankly. Every time I've ever looked at them, I've said, wow, there are some amazing craftspeople that have put together well, I, some yeah. amazing projects. My but- dad has put a lot of work into it. We didn't, we put, um, we didn't, obviously, we didn't convert this one ourselves. Um, it was already pre converted, but um, Noah did a lot and family members and all came. Um, and, um, really updated everything it was really gnarly inside it had carpet that was probably 20 years old and there was just everything was mildewy and it was really really gross inside yeah so uh, had what what were the circumstances that led to your actually wanting to to live in 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 the bus um well um it kind of goes back to when we were first uh, looking uh, back in 2012, we were looking for a house to buy, and um, everything back in 2012 was priced really, really low. And um, all the houses that we were interested in kept get, getting snatched up by investors. And um, Noah, when he was a kid, built a house with his parents out of Adobe out in Arizona. Um, and so he'd always wanted to build his own house as an adult. And um, so we started looking. Um, at vacant land, and we found the land that we were on, that we that we eventually wound up buying, and it was just a steal of a deal. And um, once we started looking into what it, building a house would entail, um, and the fact that it's very very expensive, <laughs> um, I think that we just kind of both of us were like, all right, if we're, if this is the route we're going to take, and this is the um, this is the the path that we need to be able to afford it, and it's really difficult to afford interest payments on a construction loan and pay uh, rent at the same time. So, so yeah. was the idea though must have come from your dad's expo. I mean, your did the idea come from the fact that your dad had done various bus conversions it's just the reason i'm asking is it's not most people if you want to m- many people that i've worked with if you want to build a house and you're living in an apartment you know you just continue as is and you just borrow a little extra money it's really not that big a deal most people uh, that i've worked with don't often say how can i you know again move into a bus was it the fact that your dad had done it or is this just seemed like a good idea you guys came up with yeah i don't think i think it was just a good idea <laughs> We kind of thought it was going to be an adventure and, um, yeah, a little more exciting. We had to be out on the property and kind of see it. We we also thought the process was going to go much smoother and faster. Um, but, yeah, it seemed like it was going to be interesting. So what's great about it and what stinks about it? 
probably not the best time to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we just got off a, a a couple weeks of triple digit heat wave out here, Oof. and I am um, about eight months along in our in my fourth pregnancy. <laughs> wow! So uh, the good things have the the bloom is off the rose. <laughs> right. There's a lot of fun stuff. I mean, being out here with the kids, there's plenty of stuff to run around and do and power wheels and quads and, and all that kind of stuff. That's, that's a lot of fun. Um, as far as being in the bus, I think the funnest part is staying outside of it. A lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, so this is actually what I, was inter- what I was interested in because what happens is that we as a society, we tend to spend most of our time uh, writing and talking about things that are awesome. And so if you were to, you know, if you were to guess just by the internet memes that, that go around, then you would assume that living in buses is awesome. Traveling full-time in RVs is just the way to, the way to live. Um, tiny houses are practically just the greatest gift from heaven, uh, allowing you to get rid of all your stuff. <laughs> and, and just these kind of wild and radical and crazy things are, are uh, you know, again, awesome. And that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Uh, I think that I think that they can be awesome adventures, but yet I think I take I take a little more realistic view, and and uh, and I could imagine your bu- your bus doesn't have air conditioning. Is that right? No. All right. <laughs> no. So triple triple no. digit triple did did you do that? Triple digit temperatures in your eighth month of pregnancy. That would be a challenging couple of weeks. I I certainly recognize that. Yeah, essentially, we're in a tin can, which reflects the heat. But yeah, I mean, I, I there's a lot of people at work that kind of know what I'm doing, and the conversation about tiny houses and minimalist living and all that kind of stuff comes up quite a bit because they think that that's kind of my mentality, and it's it's not. <laughs> um, so I mean, I th- I think the it kind of seems like a romantic kind of thing. I think people kind of uh, put a lot of emotion into it, and you know, it's a nice thought, but in reality, it's it's hard. I well, I, I mean, I think your you know circumstances are, are different. You know, with three kids, you know, a small space becomes very, very small. Um, I think the thought of it, you know, gets a lot of people you know excited, but you know, actually getting down to it, eh, it kind of rubs off quick. <laughs> it's so interesting that you say that though about the internet and all that kind of stuff because when we first um, embarked upon this journey, I was totally taken in by <laughs> by that. And um, I was actually just writing a post the other day. I feel it's hard to put into words because I feel very disillusioned uh, by the allure of, of small space living. You know, we have we're living without you know eighty percent of our of our belongings right now. It's all in storage, and although we have less stuff, we also have less space. So it's like you don't you don't. On the one hand, there is the the appeal that it's like we have all this stuff that's gone, and I don't for the most part, miss it, kind of miss my blender. Uh, (laughs) But, um, so on the one hand, I can see that totally, you know, you don't need nearly as much stuff as you think that you do. But on the other hand, trying to cram even, you know, 20% of your stuff into a smaller space with three children and being pregnant and, you know, um, it's, it's not ideal. (laughs) Right. Have you done any traveling with your bus? Is it is it mobile? No. Well, so 
Uh, there's some kind of problem with the radiator, which would probably be an easy fix, but we drove, it's about uh, from where we live to where we picked up the bus, it's probably 40, 40 or 50 miles, and it took us almost eight hours. Um, so it's not the most effective means of transportation. <laughs> I would guess not. <laughs> but that, that's another thing, too, that I that lately I've been thinking so much about because, um, like you said, there are so many blogs out there about, about living in an RV. And I um, I stumbled upon this this blog that was linked to on a, another blog or whatever about the this Tickner family. I think it's like T-I-C-N-O-R, TicknerTribe.com. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's like... Well, they have like 12 kids and now they're down to nine or whatever. And they all travel across the U.S. Is that what happened to them? No, they grew up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they grew up and moved on and and they're off doing their own thing now. So they have the nine youngest. Right. They have the nine youngest. And and like you said, they write about it and they're so like, so exuberant about it. And this is just the best life and and all this stuff. And... um, and then looking at their space, they're in like a brand new RV, not brand new, I shouldn't say that, but it's much newer than 1970. You know, they're in a new RV with slide outs and they've got TVs and they've got couches. And even though I'm sure it's a super small space and they've got a ton more kids than I do. And they're also mobile, too. They're moving from place to place to place, you know. And I think I read that they have like a 15 passenger van that follows along, you know, with the with their uh, RV and all that kind of stuff. So it's like. Every situation is totally different. They have more kids, but a newer space, and they're mobile, you know? Right. And we're in an, a much older uh, vehicle, I guess, um, <laughs> with smaller kids, but I'm also pregnant, and and we're just kind of stuck out here in the heat, you know? Um, and then I had another, another um, a reader of the blog had emailed me, and it was just her and her husband, and they were going to be moving into an RV, um, just the two of them, well, they built a house. Same kind of situation. I think it was out in the Midwest somewhere. And um, and she was like, do you have any suggestions? You know, what was the hardest thing? And it was like, it was a completely different situation. You know, again, like a newer RV, just the two of them. I think they had a couple dogs. And it was like, you guys are going to be fine. <laughs> You're great. That's right. golden. Right. You know, a lot of the challenges that we're facing have to do with our particular situation. Right. Also, probably because you're in something of a transition between lifestyles. And my wife and I learned this when we first got married. And when, when we first got married and, uh, and after getting married, we, you know, we moved in together. We lived in a studio apartment that was a total of 243 square, foot, square feet. And it was really small, but we loved it. It was just the two of us. And it was just again a studio. It had a, one one large room, <laughs> one medium sized room, <laughs> <laughs> and a uh, very small kitchen and a bathroom. And uh, everything worked great about it. Uh, it was right in the middle of downtown West Palm Beach. It was super cheap rent. We could walk to uh, we walked to the beach. Uh, sometimes we could easily walk to the downtown areas. It was just a, it was it was a perfect. My wife could walk to work uh, or ride her bike to work. Uh, I needed to drive still to my to my job, but it was just a super great living circumstance. But uh, and what I observed was that uh, in the first couple of days of my being there, it felt really uh, it felt really 
uh, claustrophobic. It felt really physically small. But after about yeah, three or four or five days, it just felt like this is what we do. Uh, and then when we moved out of that, you know, little tiny apartment into the massive, I don't know, two, I mean, not massive, but I guess 2,000 square foot house or something like that that we live in now, it felt massive for a couple of days. Uh, for, and then it just felt normal. So I noticed that we adjusted quickly. But the thing that was the most frustrating about being in the studio was that we knew it was a transition time. We knew this wasn't a permanent lifestyle, and we had certain lifestyle uh, factors. Uh, you know, what do you do with the what do you do with the snorkel gear? Do you keep it? Do you get rid of it? What do you do with the ski gear? Do you keep it? Do you get rid of it? What do you do with all of this gear, this stuff that just goes with life? What do you do with your book collection? Do you keep it? Do you get rid of it? If you were going to live in a bus forever, you would probably downsize a lot of those things that you needed uh, uh, in order to make it work. But if it's just a transition time, then you're kind of caught with the lifestyle that fits into a house that doesn't fit into a bus. Uh, and, and that was just my observation, is that the people who seem to, I, I would say, kind of live those lifestyles most successfully and with the greatest joy, it's because they're, it's not for the purpose of, of glorifying living in a tiny house. It's what that tiny house allows, opens up for them. It gives them an opportunity to, uh, to experience something they wouldn't otherwise have the opportunity to experience. Or if you're living in an RV because you're traveling, that's a very different thing than if you're just living in an RV because that's what you do. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a, that's a really good point. You know, I mean, if you're, if you're, you know, dropping your baggage and getting on the road or doing whatever you're doing, that's, that's yeah, a really different situation. I mean, I think that's, you know, that would, you know, you're looking for like a freedom there. You know, you're, you're able to kind of do that. You know, I mean, if, if we were looking at this as like a long-term thing, then, I think, well, for one, mentally, I think, you know, you prepare a little bit differently and, and like, like you're saying, you know, you, you make different decisions, you know, to get rid of some of that gear and, and pass that stuff on or whatever you're going to do, as opposed to, yeah, the, the transition area is kind of what makes it more difficult, you know, cause you're kind of caught in between, you know, this is only temporary. And, and I've noticed that with, you know, getting utilities out here and running water and getting hot water going and my solar panels and all that, you know, it's always kind of with the caveat that, well, it's temporary, you know, I'm going to have to take all this down, you know, so if it's a more permanent fixture, you know, you can, I think you can kind of dig in a little more. And and you can customize, you can customize things more to a permanent lifestyle, you know, like as far as even um, making things comfortable, there are things that we've talked about where it's like, well, is it worth it to do that? You know, if it's only going to be for this long, is it worth the money and the time investment? You know, those kinds of things, you know, to where, um, it's it's kind of a difficult trade-off sometimes, you know. Right. If you're not going to be somewhere for a long period of time, there's little. There seems to be little sense in putting a lot of effort into improving it. Yeah, but I mean, there's still there's there's still the thought in my mind. It's like, all right, well, how could I make this work? You know, like if we don't want to go into debt with this huge house, you know, what could what could we do to really dig in here and, and make this work? You know, and usually it's a pretty short thought, but <laughs> you know, it would be possible. You know, and and change things up a bit, but. So are you thinking about doing that? Are you gonna are you gonna take out a loan? Are you going to kind of build the house little by little while you can? What do you what are you thinking about doing? We've weighed a lot of options. Um I think we're still I mean we're so far down the path with the house. Um, you know, blueprints are done. Um well we thought we were a lot further along. We just found out uh the other day that our contractor didn't pass the credit check. So we're like two weeks out from closing on our construction loan. And now we don't have a general contractor. Ooh, bummer. 
So, so you know, some interesting thoughts go through your head. But, um, you know, I think we're still going to stay the course and, and do the loan. It's, you know, with the kids and everything, I think we've, we've talked about it, And that's, that's kind of the lifestyle we want to have, you know, and for them to grow up in. Not necessarily this. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. And we also, I mean, when we first were looking at the land, and I think when we first bought it, we talked about so many different options. I mean, I was checking out books from the library on like straw bale and adobe and just all sorts of alternative building materials. We've talked for a long time about, um, about, uh, uh, uh SIPs and or yeah. structurally insulated panels. Like growing up, my parents built their house and they used adobe and they did it all themselves and, uh, themselves. And, I mean, it was growing up, it was a great experience, you know, and I got to see them do that and be a part of it. And, you know, I've always kind of thought that's what I would do, you know, and the original plan was to buy some land and I'll build a house myself because I can do that. And, you know, the more we got into it and everything and, you know, where we live, permits are insanely expensive. And there was, you know, just, you know, I can't be a husband and a father and a good employee and do all this while I'm building a house, you know, successfully. So... You know, we, you're in California, right? Yeah, Southern California. <laughs> so you, yeah, so you're right in code happy war, uh, in the middle of sounds like code a code happy municipality. Is that right? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah we're in San Diego <laughs> County. What made you choose to move there? <laughs> well, I I grew up here. Yeah, and I I spent some time here as a kid, and then my parents moved to Arizona when I was in uh, middle school or something like that. And it took me a while to get back, but I can't imagine being anyplace else. I spent some time on the East Coast and uh, up in the Northwest, and there's just really no place like it. And we have family close, too. Noah's sister, one of Noah's sisters lives close, and uh, my parents are just like uh, like 10 miles away or something. Right. So you're going with more just traditional kind of mainstream construction methods then on your on the house project that you're working on? Yeah, after looking at a lot of the options, I mean, it's hard to find a general contractor that'll do alternative building. And then, you know, I looked at things like shipping container homes and a whole bunch of different stuff. But it's it's harder to get them permitted a lot of times, well, especially shipping containers specifically. I was really excited about those and uh, getting them permitted and, and letting, you know, the county letting you build that way is really difficult. And it's, like you were saying, code happy, so... Greasing all those palms is, is <laughs> not financially viable. So, um, so after we looked at all the options, you know, I mean, and I wanted to try to stay as green as possible. So the the SIP panels and stuff like that, you know, great insulation, all this kind of stuff. But the more research I did, you know, the the payback on it was like eighty years. You know, so it's great that I'm saving electricity, but if it takes me eighty years to pay them off, I'm not really helping me out. <laughs> so right, right. It's interesting because it brings up a, a brings up the conundrum, and I face exactly the same the same thing. So I live in West Palm Beach, Florida, and I I'm very interested in I don't know what the right term would be. I guess I'm, I'm interested in architectural methods, and I find it it a constant learning curve. Because it's easy to dismiss everything that we do today as having as being you know without without form or without reason. Why do we build these houses out of you know this material? Why do we build it in such a way? And it's easy to kind of just on the one hand dismiss the the work of many 
knowledgeable people who have developed the systems that we use. And I'm guilty of that myself many times of just kind of saying, ah, this is all stupid. This stinks. We should all go and live in, uh, in, you know, rammed earth houses. We should all build earth ships, you know, something like that. Uh, but I, as the more I look at it, though, and the more I study, I see that there really are some interesting, uh, some interesting techniques that just don't seem to be applied. It, I look around, and I look, you know, the the developments and the communities and things around here, and I just say they all look very pretty, and they're very strong for hurricanes, but they are woefully inefficient as a uh, energy inefficient, and they're they're just expensive to live in and expensive to maintain. But the problem is I choose to live in West Palm Beach, Florida, and the, the code system is very well-intentioned to keep everyone safe and to keep the houses safe, but it destroys any possibility of using some of the, some of the alternative methods. Uh, so I look longingly at some of the alternative methods and think and constantly design in my head how I could design a house that wouldn't need uh, to run an air conditioner year-round in, in West Palm Beach, Florida. And I've got some pretty good ideas that I think would work, uh, and, but I can't do them. And it's very frustrating, at least to me. Yeah, I, I hear you. I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat there. And, you know, it's – I think – I mean, I, I kind of go back and forth. You know, I mean, I know the codes are there to, you know, help protect people and stuff like that. But, I mean, essentially, I'm kind of like, well, it's my land. It's my house. You know, I'm going to – I will take those risks, you know. But I guess down the line, that would matter more, you know. Um, but a lot of, like, the alternative methods and stuff like that, it's just – a lot of it is, is code issues or or just the, the, the price points haven't gotten down to a point where it's reasonable to do those things. You know, it's, it's, it's unfortunate that it's worse for the environment, but it's, you know, more – uh, financially viable to to run your air conditioning all year long as as opposed to doing like a you know poured concrete house or using like the SIPs, you know that's unfortunate. But until more bigger builders start using those, you know that technology isn't going to come down in price. Until they're able to you know mass produce it and market it in such a way, you know you're you're going to have those high prices. And that's, I mean, I, I think in in our lifetime, I think we'll see it. You know where we really adopt those methods and the, the price comes down to a point where it's, you know, sustainable and it makes sense for builders. But unfortunately we're not there yet. Here's what I want. Uh, and maybe you've seen it. I haven't seen anyone do this yet, but I want completely modular building structures. So I want to, I want to buy when getting started, I want somebody, and I don't care if this is, you know, build it off of shipping containers, build it on trailers, build it with, uh, you know, just give me, it should be easy to, to create this, but basically, Build for me a, uh, you know, let me buy a living room unit, a bedroom unit, a kitchen unit, and a bathroom unit, and start my house with that. And let's say the thing, you know, cost me twenty grand, five thousand bucks a unit, and put it on, you know, put it on my land. I put a concrete pad in, whatever needs to be done. And then when I, you know, if I have a baby, I need another, need another bedroom. I call up and I order another bedroom unit and bolt it on. And if I need another bathroom, I order another bathroom and bolt on another bedroom and kind of bolt on what I need. And then when I'm done with it, I just turn around and I sell, uh, you know, kids, kids grow up, move out of the house. I turn around, sell one of the bedrooms and, uh, you know, the com- truck comes by, picks it up, takes it on to somebody else who bolts it onto their house. Like that's my idea for how I think housing should work. <laughs> I, I think it'd be great. It'd be like the, the Ikea kind of, of housing. You know? right. you just pick this model and bam. Right. I just, yeah. I just found, uh, somebody in France who, 
uh, is has built uh, built a house. It wasn't quite this way, but they built the entire thing out of uh, rigid foam, uh, rigid foam, structural foam uh, panels, almost maybe about three feet wide by about two feet thick, and the the panels were about forty feet long. And they put the entire thing together with these panels, uh, the forty feet long, meaning the floor and the uh, not the floor, the roof. Uh, the actual ceiling, and it was load-bearing foam. And it was fascinating. The video online looked awesome as far as the technology. But I, I just I, I think it's silly that we're building with the same technology that we've been building with for basically uh, hundreds of years without any changes and without any updates. Uh, but, as we said, codes, <laughs> codes seem to yeah. get in the way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I looked at those. I mean, the structural insulated panels, are, I think that's similar to what you're talking about. It's um, like a particle board on both sides with a sandwich of high-density... Uh, structural foam in the middle, mm-hmm. and I mean, they're they're awesome. You know, I, I think Europe's a little bit, well, quite a bit, you know, ahead of the curve. You know, as opposed to us here, on adopting stuff like that and and making those changes. You know, but but even just taking like the smaller step, you know, and even just looking at at what we would call a modular home today, you know, or a manufactured home, which is um, which we also attempted. <laughs> um, being more um, environmentally friendly because it's all prefab. There's not as much waste. You know, everybody that we've talked to, you know, I'm told about, you know, what our project or what we're doing, you know, has said, well, have you tried modular? And um, and it's unfortunate in some ways also that, um, for one thing, that it's not, that manufactured housing still has a pretty strong stigma about right. it as right. far as, you know, um, resale value and that kind of stuff and having to, you know, have it on your title that it's a manufactured house and, you know, it really brings brings down the, the value of the home still um, in a lot of cases. And um, in our experience, what we've looked at, the quality in some instances is not as high. And um, in our attempt, actually, I mean, the main, the main reason we wound up not going with modular had to do with the company that we were working with primarily more so than those reasons. But, um, but it turns out too, that going, you know, with a traditional build, the projected value of the home is way higher than it would have been with, with a modular, which is unfortunate. Right. And this is, it's, it's interesting how the interplay between the financial markets affects the technology that's used. So one of the major problems, at least that I've observed, of all of the alternative uh, designs, whether it's uh, you're going to build with a geodesic dome or whether you're going to build an earth ship or whether you're going to build uh, a straw bale or a modular house, uh, you know, the problem oftentimes uh, with all except the modular house comes with how do, you, how, does, how do we get financing? And so let's say the house is valued at, you know, fifty, a hundred, and hundred fifty thousand dollars there are many fewer people who are able to simply pay cash for the house, no matter how great it is, versus being able to finance it. And if you don't fit into the traditional mold, then the finance company often has little, uh, little ability to know how to work with you. Uh, and then you're right, exactly on the modular home, is, is the technology, at least just from my understanding, is vastly superior. There's no reason why you can't use a modular approach to create uh, a phenomenal uh, a phenomenal house in many ways some of the biggest buildings in the world there are are modular buildings they're all 
prefab. They're all planned to bolt together. Uh, a skyscraper is basically a system of, of girders that is, you know, you have a certain amount of poured concrete, and then the girders are all bolted together, and it's all planned out, designed, and, and constructed off-site and, uh, off and just assembled on-site. But the financial system and the financing system doesn't support it, and then the market has that perception. So we continue to perpetuate the <laughs> the broken cycle <laughs> simply because <laughs> that's what is better for our situation, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, just because it doesn't fit, and you know. Right. Yeah. So, if we if we would have had more, I, I mean, I think you know we we talked about you know building it a little bit as we go, you know, so we wouldn't have to really kind of play that financial game. Um, but then you know you're in a situation where it, the longer it goes on, you know, if you're doing it piece by piece, you know, I mean, it, it kind of goes back to the codes as well, you know, I mean. You've only got a certain amount of time, or you have to show a certain amount of progress, and all these kind of things, you know. So, right. yeah, the idea of saving up that much money in a short amount of time wasn't viable for us either. Right. Well, good for you for good for you for for working uh, for working hard with what you got. San Diego County is probably not a great place to try to be innovative. Neither is Palm Beach County. <laughs> but I, uh, I I I pay a lot of attention to what some of the guys out and and gals up in out in Utah or up in Tennessee or up in the uh, you know Montana or Wyoming or out in the middle of nowhere where they can or in Texas and unincorporated areas in Texas where you can just do it. That's where a lot of the real innovation is happening, and I'm I'm excited to see. Some some of the technologies that are being developed there, uh, but good for you for for working with uh, with what you got. Uh, I have one other question for you, if, if, and then uh, we'll wrap up. And anything else that you have to say? Um, I noticed uh, on your site that you, uh, you guys uh, you, do you do home education with your kids? Yeah, we um, we're actually part of a uh, local charter school. Um, which is a really, it's, I like, I really like the program a lot. It's a, it's a hybrid program. Um, so my oldest, the only one that's, you know, formally in school right now, uh, she's in first grade. So she goes to what they call workshop two days a week, uh, with a, you know, teacher in a classroom environment. And so, and then the other three days, um, I teach her from home, um, using, you know, they provide, you know, a standard curriculum and, um, and the, you know, guided day by day, you know, this is what you should be doing, but they also allow you a lot of freedom, um, to do things how you want to do them, how best fits for your student and your lifestyle and stuff. Is, so, yeah. is that sponsored by the public school system? It is. It's a public school system. Um, yeah, it's a public charter. Um, so it does still have to, uh, you know, go through all the, the state standards and all that kind of stuff. Um, but just the actual, the actual program itself um, allows for a lot of a lot of individuality and freedom. How does that benefit you? Why did you decide to participate in that versus just simply designing your own uh, your own plan for your kids? Well, um, when we first started considering homeschooling. Um, I thought that that kind of what I thought I did think that it was kind of like either or either you go to public school or you go to private school or you homeschool. Um, I wasn't aware of the hybrid program at all. Um, and I think for a lot of parents, even just considering the choice to homeschool, it can be really intimidating, you know, taking that huge responsibility, you know, onto yourself. I did a ton of research and, um, you know, I was all prepared to, to, to go it on my own. Um, 
when somebody introduced me to this model and I, and I guess my, um, my first reaction to it was kind of like, wow, it sounds like homeschooling, but with training wheels. Yeah. Right. I would say, you know, it's just kind of like, you know, you get to put your feet in the water, you know, what is it like to actually, you know, stay home? I mean, I was staying home with my kids all day anyway, you know, but I actually have like a formal schooling environment and, um, and what is that actually like? Um, and, um, and my daughter, my oldest, uh, she's in first grade. She really, really, really wanted to go to school <laughs> and mm-hmm. she loves, she loves going to class and she loves seeing her friends, you know? So it's, it's, um, for her, it's, I think it's mainly a social, <laughs> a social, um, drive, uh, that, that really keeps her, excuse me, wanting to go, uh, those two days a week, um, as we've gone along these past couple, this past, you know, kindergarten was our first year and this will be our second. Um, I, I have, I've kind of craved a little bit more freedom. Um, I've written about it a little bit on the blog, just a little bit. My, my instincts kind of tend a little bit more toward like the unschooling, um, school of thought, mm-hmm. um, where I do, especially at these younger ages, I just kind of want to let them, you know, go and play and, you know, learn naturally. Uh, rather than sitting down, you know, and here, now we have to do this, and now we have to fill out this worksheet and that kind of stuff. Um, so I would like to to have a little bit more independence, but she just she just loves. She loves going to class, and so... First grade uh, just, is fun, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we're just kind of taking it as it goes. Right now, this, this really works for us, and it is nice to be able to um, spend time with my younger two those two days when, when she's in class. Yeah, I I, uh, I can't imagine any anybody objecting to first grade. First grade is fun. Fourth grade, on the <laughs> other hand, <laughs> or sixth yeah. grade or seventh grade—that's a different question. But first grade, right. <laughs> the children right. are sweet and the activities are fun. <laughs> <laughs> you go coloring with your friends. That's a good day. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's it's when you set to sit in the desk all day and 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 study a uh, and study a. Uh, you know, a textbook that that was put together that's boring as anything. That's when uh, that's when you you start to have more challenges. Uh, it's interesting that you talk about the new model. I have some good friends of mine uh, who have gone back and forth, and they're currently using that model out in Texas. And they're using it's a it's it, their their version is not a charter school; it's a private independent school. Uh, but they do. I think it's yeah, it's two days. <clears throat> excuse me, it's two days in class and then three days at home, and that can. I think that can really be an advantage for a family as busy. You know, especially if you're uh, expecting a new baby, that can really help with some structure that takes a little bit of the stress and the pressure off, uh, while still retaining many of the valuable benefits of not being basically not being in school you know to hopefully avoid the problems of of being in school Uh, and i think that's a really great model i would love to see and one of the things i i personally predict i i'd love to see hundreds and hundreds of new models created and new people try things and compete and i love that that charter school has that model to compete with the other with the other approaches what was your path to just why did you like what what even raised the idea for you of considering taking charge of your kids education um, I think for me, well, for me, I was public school, you know, raised all through K through 12. Um, and I always thought that homeschooled kids were kind of weird and so right. it had never really occurred to me to do it. Um, until, 
Uh, my oldest probably hit around two or three when you start thinking, you know, maybe a little bit about, you know, preschool or school or, you know, just what your options are and that kind of stuff. And um, it just kind of occurred to me that even, you know, within the next couple of years or whatever, I wasn't going to be ready to send her to somebody else eight hours a day, you know, to, to and see her less than somebody else was seeing her, you know, and, and kind of give away that, that influence and that priority in her life. Um, and so that's when I, when I really started researching, I, I started going on homeschooling blogs and I started talking to, to women that I knew that were homeschooling. And, um, it really changed my perspective on it, you know, because one of the most, you know, common questions and the question that I had too, was like, well, you know, they're never going to be socialized. Oh, <laughs> uh, which is such an obnoxious question to homeschool moms I have since discovered. <laughs> um, and just the, um, just kind of having people sit down and be like, no, 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 <laughs> that's, that's silly. <laughs> uh, because actually, you know, in a, in most, in many situations, a homeschool kid, a homeschool kid is being, um, socialized much more naturally than sitting in a classroom with 30 of his same aged peers, you know, to only interact with, <laughs> you right. know, they're going, they go with me to the grocery, they go with me everywhere, you know, so they're getting more of a, an idea of what real life is like. Right. Um, they would just sitting in the classroom eight hours a day, five days a week. Is that so, what was the, that, is that the argument that was compelling for you to allay your fears about socialization? Um, yeah, pretty much. Um, and just the, the fact that, um, I mean, not with, not with regard to socialization, but just the fact that, you know, up until they start school, you teach them everything they know. You know, there's no reason why as soon as they turn five, you know, and that cutoff date passes that you stop knowing more than they do. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. you don't lose your ability to teach your children um, right at that instant, you know, because you don't have a certification or accreditation. Right. Right. Yeah. And for me, I went along with it because I didn't want to let her go. She's, <laughs> you know, they come back with and they're like different kids. You know, I, I saw it like with my nieces and stuff like that. You know, you kind of see it, a change. You know, so when, when Sarah started bringing up, you know, thinking about homeschooling, I was like, yes, let's keep her sheltered <laughs> some more. I'm not quite ready to let her go. Right, right. Um, and I think also with the with the homeschooling model that the charter introduces, um, I think I've heard it referred to as a university model, you know, uh, where it's just a couple days a week or whatever, um, that the family environment in comparison to a public school is a little bit different because there does have to be at least one parent at home with the kids, you know, mm -hmm. one parent has to be involved with that child, you know, day to day and with their education and, and that kind of stuff. And, um, I think that it, that there's a difference, you know, it, there's a difference in the, um, the culture of the school and in the classroom and the parents that you meet, you know, and then the kids behavior too, I have to say. My wife and I, we have a one, we have one son and he's one year old, one year old. So we haven't been, you know, you're a few years ahead of us as far as actual experience, but in watching it and then we hope to, uh, we hope to take charge of his education home as well. And, but in watching it, one of the things that, that I observe is many times people mix up a lot of words and they use them interchangeably. For, so, for example, uh, oftentimes we use interchangeably the word school and education. And uh, those words are very different. School versus education is, is very different. 
uh, if you actually kind of explore some of the nuance. And other other things. So, for example, I've got issues with – I personally have some issues with how the schooling system works for the negative socialization, uh, for the way that you say – like exactly the concern that many people have about uh, kids that are educated at home. Ha- the same concern that they have, I have the opposite concern. And I've observed that kids are probably going to turn out just about like their parents. So if the parents are awkward, <laughs> socially awkward, <laughs> it's likely That's that the, the kids are going to be socially awkward. And if the parents are socially adept, then it's likely that the kids will be socially adept because they're going to model their parents. So people oftentimes have met, we, we've all met, um, man, there are some awkward kids in school every day, right? There are some very so socially awkward kids. I mean, there are some socially awkward parents in every part of society. So I think that's a poor basis of, uh, of judging uh, the results that somebody gets with an educational system. I look at it and I say, the idea that the valuable socialization is from a classroom filled with eight-year-olds or filled with 15-year-olds, that that's the valuable socialization. This is a very strange concept in the history of the world. Throughout history, society has always been integrated. And you've had an integration of children, uh, you know, fully integrated with parents, grandparents, uncles, aunts, the entire community. Uh, I, I forget the person who popularized the, the saying, but uh, the, the saying of it takes a village to raise a child. Life has always been integrated. This is how we learn. And yet in our society and and in modern society, we've embarked on this very strange idea that somehow the best person to teach a 13-year-old girl socialization skills is another 13-year-old girl. Right, exactly. <laughs> really not the best plan, in my opinion. I think you see the results. Look at the, the frustration uh, in, in children. And I learned this you know, even from my own personal experience. I was, with the exception of uh, third grade when I was in public school, uh, I, was, uh, I was educated at home through seventh grade, and then I went to a, a traditional private school. And you know, in seventh grade, I always felt like I got along great with the, with adults uh, like i i just fit in well with, in society and then i had to learn all these new skills of somehow fitting into these weird cliques and the cool kids and the not cool kids and all this weird stuff i'd never had to deal with and it wasn't until i finally got to college again that i started to feel kind of more normal because people um backed off of the the, the silly the the silly uh, high school stuff and then when i became an adult and i recognized wow people you know people don't care about what i look like or they don't care about these silly things it's just they're, they're interested in my ideas it was such a freeing concept that i hadn't had since i was in sixth grade <laughs> well and it's interesting too that you, that you bring that up because um one of the conversations that i have with one of my brothers who he doesn't have any he doesn't have any kids yet but he's so interested, you know, in our journey with the homeschooling and stuff, you know, his point is, you know, that we went through school and, you know, I have four brothers and I think all of us kind of took our knocks as far as, you know, getting picked on. Um, right. And it was kind of like, well, you know, even though that was a terrible experience, you know, like we, you know, bullies and having to deal with that kind of stuff, it teaches you empathy, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and he was like, you know, do you feel like your kids are going to be going to be missing out, you know, if they, if they don't experience that or, you know, just being picked on by other kids of their age. And, um, and I don't think that, I, <laughs> I don't think that there's any parent out there that's like, no, I, I really want my kid to get picked on for a little while. Right. <laughs> um, but, 
I think that, that one of the, the biggest things is that most of our generation um, was public schooled and, and that's all we know, you know, and it's like, and if that's not the right way, or if there's, you know, if there's other ways, it, it kind of makes it feel like our experience wasn't, wasn't necessary. You know, it makes it invalid almost, you know, I feel like a lot of people feel in danger of having their experience invalidated. Um, you know, I, I went through public school, so you have to go through public school. You're going to learn the same things that I learned. You know, you're going to go through that school of hard knocks. And, um, and I think it takes courage to look back at that and be like, no, maybe that wasn't necessary. You know, maybe there is a different way. Maybe there is a better way, you know, for, for my kids, you know. I think you just proved your concern, even in the statement that you just made. If school were about education, then we wouldn't have any concerns about the social fear of, you know, well, no, you've got to go through it, what I went through. If, if school were right. about education, we would, be, we would applaud those who had achieved an excellent education. Uh, but our concerns are generally from a social, social perspective. If people aren't taught their place, if people aren't taught their class, if, if people are not taught to, uh, you know, these certain things, whether it's, uh, you know, I won't, I won't give any examples, but if people are not taught this common, <laughs> if people are not taught this common core of what they need to know for everyone to be the same, then how can our society function? And I think you just, you just, proved the point, uh, even in what you were saying logically, that it's less about education and it's very much about uh, organizing society, at least in my observation. Yeah, I think that's valid. Mm-hmm. It is interesting, though. I have, a, I have a friend, a close friend, who um, was homeschooled you know, her whole life, um, but she grew up very isolated. She was raised you know, um, on a mountaintop, actually. <laughs> really? the neighbors who lived in a bus but that's beside the point um but she um she actually she went through kindergarten through her sophomore year of high school before she finally was like okay i'm going to public school now you know she really felt like she was missing out she felt isolated she felt like she was you know she didn't want she wasn't she didn't want to be homeschooled anymore and Mm -hmm. so she kind of told her parents she said i'm going to high school now you know and, um, and so it's interesting talking to her, her kids aren't at school age yet, you know, and she hasn't decided what kind of, as far as I know, she hasn't decided what path she's going to take. Um, but from talking to her, she said that one of the things that was really neat was that she, when she went to high school, she had so many fears that she was going to be so far behind in her education, you know, and, and she felt like she'd missed out on all this stuff. And then going to school, she was like, Oh, you know, she was like, no, I'm, I'm ahead. <laughs> you know, like I know all this stuff already. And, um, and it didn't take very much at all for her to, to to fit in, you know, to figure out where she was and what she was doing and, you know, to yeah, assimilate um, into the culture, you know. So I think that that's another fear, too, that people have is that, you know, if I take my kid out of this environment and someday they want to go back, you know, they're going to have this huge, uh, this huge gap, you know, all these learning gaps or, you know, something like that. And um and I just don't think that that's necessarily a realistic fear because there's so many things that we think that we have to teach children that we have to cram into their brains at a really early age. You know, they have to read by this age and they have to know their numbers and how to add and, you know, all these things. But as you get older, those things are really, really easy and quickly taught and quickly mm-hmm. learned, you know. So any learning gaps um, 
that there might be are pretty quickly covered once you realize that they're there. Just like as an adult, you know, you realize, oh, I never learned about, you know, this era of history. And then you pick up some books and you read about it, you watch the movies, and there you go. Gap filled. <laughs> right, right. I'm interested in, even on this show, about some of the ways that if we if we take a little bit more interest in thinking farther ahead than general society does because the problem that general society has especially the problem that 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 politicians and policymakers and 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 bureaucrats face is that they have to think of the common good they have to think of all people and so they have to design systems that work for all people so if they're going to design a schooling system, they need to design it in a way that's going to work for everybody. And maybe they'll have a little bit of variability there. You may have a gifted program, but there you now you have two programs. So you've got to fit everybody into one of these two tracks. But as individuals, um, taking charge of our own lives and for, of our own, hopefully our own children's uh, educations, we don't have that same constraint. So we can customize things exactly based upon our goals and based upon our kids' goals. And when you look at the incredible start that you can give to a child, whether it's from an educational perspective, connecting them not with the the teacher who happens to be the teacher in the local school, but rather with a world-class teacher who's the best in the world at, in the subject that they're interested in, or whether it's not designing the curriculum that has to work for everyone, but rather let's do this world-class curriculum. We don't read textbooks, we read primary documents, or, or something along those lines. Uh, or whether it's just the financial perspectives. You know, I know many, I have read and met many um, home-educated kids who finished their bachelor's degree from an accredited university by the time of 18. And you can basically dispense with the idea of having to deal with that stuff after the primary years, and you can really help a student go out ahead if they're if they're academically gifted. Or you can do. I'm getting ready to bring a guy on the show um, who all of his sons so far, his three older sons uh, and his two others are are on track for this, have been able to purchase a home uh, debt free by the time they uh, were in their 20s and and got married. Uh, well, that happened because they were educated at home and were able to really focus on vocational skills that then they could use to enhance their life. So uh, I think if, even from a personal finance perspective, it's, a, it's an incredibly exciting opportunity when you think of how we can really uh, set our children on a stronger course than perhaps we had the opportunity to go on. Absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. So anything else that any other ideas that you have or anything else that you'd like to share uh, before we wrap up? think so i think we've pretty much covered bases well i would just encourage you keep doing what you're doing and keep writing honestly about what your experiences are and remember the uh the famous uh you know the famous wise words of philosophy this too shall pass uh so (laughs) hopefully soon soon you'll meet your new little one and uh and all will be forgotten as you as you see as you watch the house go up uh and in the meantime i wish you i wish you great wisdom as you face all of your uh, all of your uh, the challenges with with getting the project done. Uh, I know it's going to be a draining. It's going to be a very challenging and draining process. But the end result, I'm sure you will enjoy living in your house much more after having spent the time in the bus. So your website is anything. We're cultivating a lot of gratitude. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Your website is littlebusontheprairie.com. Is there anywhere else that you'd like uh, anything else you'd like to mention before? We wrap, I mean, as we go here, for, where people can find you or anything like that. 
No, we're not very social media savvy. <laughs> that's, that's, that's all we got. <laughs> You've got three kids. There's your social media. <laughs> turn off, turn off the phones and spend time with your kids. Thank you guys for taking the time to come on the show. I really have enjoyed chatting, chatting with you. All right, thank you, Josh. Yeah, it was a pleasure. <laughs> Told you it'd be fun. So happy Friday to you. Uh, let that send you off with a with an idea. And maybe this weekend, you can be thankful for the house that you're living in with the air conditioner that you're living in. And I think that you may may have helped to bring out some information as far as some of the good things and the bad things and just the challenges of life sometimes, of working through with contractors and working through trying to figure out how do we afford the lifestyle that we have. You know, in many ways, just kind of a dose of reality. So... Thank you for listening. Have a great weekend, everybody. Next week, I've got a number of shows lined up for you. I've got three interviews, at least, in the hopper already, which are excellent interviews. I think you're really going to enjoy those details next week, because I'm not sure what order I'm going to play them in. And then I may actually run a couple more interviews next week, because I've got some projects I need to finish up, and I may not have the time to finish the the shows, the teaching shows uh, that I need to do uh, prior to next week. Thanks so much for being here. Have a great weekend, everybody.